Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Good morning and welcome to Inside Out, episode nine. Today I share a conversation with the beautiful Kira, who is a wife, mum of two, motherhood blogger and influencer on Instagram. In this episode, Kira shares her story through matrescence and opens up about her experience with miscarriage and the birth of her two sons. We chat about all things motherhood, healthy habits for our kids and how she built her online community to the success that it is today. Please let me know what you think of this episode by leaving a quick review on the podcast app or by sharing to your Instagram. It truly means so much to me to hear your feedback. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Kira, thanks so much for joining me today. I've followed your motherhood journey online for quite some time now and you always bring so much positivity and laughs to your platform. So I'm really excited to sit down for a chat with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, that's good to hear. Diving straight into today's conversation, I know that motherhood has looked a little different over the recent months with so many restrictions and days housebound with our babies. What is something that you've really focused on to take care of you during this time in terms of self-care? Um, so I think first off, I mean, I, I did enjoy having like on a positive side, I enjoyed having hubby working from home mm. all the time. So that was nice that he was there because he actually commutes to Sydney. Um, so he, it meant that he was always there in the afternoon for the bed and bath routine. But I think something I kind of took on was I actually took back up reading. Yes. And I joined a book club online on Instagram. So I love that. <laughs> um, it's called the Both Sides Book Club, I think. So mm. kind of gave me... So I would read but then, you know, something to talk about and mm. they picked the books for you, which is always half the job done mm. and all the ones they've picked so far are always really good. So I did that. Um, oh, and then obviously also going for walks. So often I think like some days because, you know, parks were closed and yes. you can't go to the shops or anything. So sometimes I would go for walks with the boys in the pram like three times a day. Yeah. But then something for myself was I would also try to go for a walk on my own. Mm. So I have that time to go for a walk on my own and just listen to music or not mm. big, big walks because I'm not the most fit person. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Filling up our cup as mothers mostly, you know, sits right at the bottom of our never-ending to-do list. And I really find if we're able to inject these self-care moments into habits and just simple addition in our in our days moving forward, it's yeah. going to become a million times simpler to ensure we're filling up our own cup as well as filling and refilling everyone else's in our house. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And I suppose that like cultivating these to be habits in turn will present as though this is simply what we do as mums and really show our kids the importance of prioritising self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree, definitely. Kira, you are quite a well-established blogger and influencer on Instagram and you have a community of over 39,000 people, which I can assume is primarily women and mums. Yep. When did you begin blogging and why did you start this path? So my journey is probably a bit like mismatched. So I started 
So when Arlo was, so that's my first. So when he was about one, um, I just started, I mean, from the moment he was born, I always loved taking photos of him as every mum does. Mm. Uh, but then I also started getting into taking like photos of him in different clothes. And I think when he was about one, I decided that rather than just having my personal Instagram, I would create one just for him where I could take photos of him in different fashion mm. labels. And after doing that for a couple of months, I think we got approached to do what's called brand rep work. So that's where you take photos of the clothes and they – so they give you the clothes and you take photos mm. of them in those clothes. Yep. <laughs> so yep. explain it, right? Um, so we did that and so at that time my account was actually called My Little Adventurer. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that for oh, probably about a year. Um, it kind of branched into like – different products like play products, lots of clothing. And then um, I'm, I'm trying to I – th- I think once I got pregnant with Cohen was when my community grew a lot more mm-hmm. and then I kind of left that whole just fashion side and started talking about motherhood, pregnancy because I had quite a difficult pregnancy with Cohen and Arlo. So I started talking about that and so – I noticed it was becoming more of a blogging platform rather than just the um, fashion thing. So that's when I kind of, yeah, turned it more into a mum blog space. Mm. And so I don't – and so from there it just, um, yeah, kind of grew. Like the more I connected with the other mum bloggers on the platform, um, I felt my audience grew and – Quite organically. Yeah, like yeah. organically and then obviously as well – Sometimes when you do like giveaways and things, you gain followers mm-hmm. and things. But yeah, it was kind of a slow sort of organic growth. Mm, that's awesome. What would you say is the key to standing out in a sea? I guess now in social yeah. media, there's quite a high volume and presence of mummy bloggers. So yes. what would you say is key to standing out? Yeah, so there definitely is like these days a real like saturated market, I feel, of mum mm-hmm. bloggers. Um, I feel... There's no real key to standing out. I think what I've learned the most important thing is to be yourself. Mm. So everybody offers their own unique thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine is obviously being like that honest, but then also having a bit of humour as well. Mm. So I find my best advice would be just to be yourself because there's no use trying to be someone you're not and then you're not going to enjoy it anyway. So, yeah. um, And I think... Yeah, just trying to offer something unique. Like for me, I find I kind of try to throw in a bit of the humour with the letterboard posts and um, – but then also the honesty. So And that's yeah. so different to what, you know, others do. Mm, so. And I think that, you know, having your story and sharing it publicly in a vulnerable manner means yeah. that so many other women, are, that's resonating with them and they're feeling your feelings and they're understanding and feel quite supported – yeah. When you're sharing that that real side of things and they also, you know, the funny stuff's always good too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. good. Have you received any negativity in this space? Um, so I've been pretty lucky that I haven't like ever really received any, say, trolls mm. or anything. But there has been some different learning curves. Um, I think some people that aren't involved in it would be surprised how much, sorry to use the word, but bitchiness yeah, goes on. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah. Um, 
and sometimes from some of the most influential, you know, mummy bloggers, mm. the ones that sadly promote themselves as being all about raising up other mums or supporting anxiety are sometimes the ones that are really caught up in the, I'd like to call it like say the high school mentality mm. of it, like the mean girls and the being the best. So there is a lot of, obviously with any you know, community, there's like a lot of competition, but then I have found just I've learned to who to trust mm. and who to connect with and to stay, I guess, stay clear of. Um, I just find that, yeah, there has, you know, some people get very, very attached to it and then they there can be a bit of negativity. Yeah, and they, I guess they would forget that it's just a like it's yes i find real life sometimes even though you share your real life like yeah yeah um, and that's it and we're all just trying to kind of do our own thing Mm. and yeah that's it so i read something recently and it said if you understood how frequently people cope projecting you would learn to take nothing personally and i really resonate with that there's been so many times in my life i needed to hear it but having an online presence you hear so many awful experiences and horrific things being written I guess by people that are obviously going through something and it's easier for them to project their emotions to someone online and I guess that would be in the sense of competition as well yeah Um, absolutely but I think it's really incredible that your presence in this space is received with so much positivity it would really make this career choice I suppose that much more enjoyable for you yeah definitely absolutely yeah. I would love to digress into motherhood with you, Kira. Yeah. Matrescence is a relatively new word in our modern language, but one I have personally felt quite drawn to learning more about. The meaning of matrescence is the transition into motherhood, the process of becoming a mother physically, psychologically, um, and the emotional changes we experience from falling pregnant to birthing our babies and so on. And I want to delve deep into understanding this more and sharing the experiences of other women more because I really feel like these experiences are just so important to share I know hearing about other women's journeys that resonate with my own have left me to feel understood and supported in moments when I had maybe questioned and doubted myself you're so honest and open on your platform on social media and you give a lot of raw insights into motherhood but I do want to digress a little more into your story can you share your journey to matrescence yeah definitely so um I actually had to look up this word because I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, but well, it, it's, is, it is new. It's yeah, super new. And I, it's I love so true. I find it. So I actually found something written that I thought that's just like it was yeah. that um, like they believe the psychological birth of a mother is a bit like adolescence with all the hormones. So it's like that full transition into a complete yeah. like different stage of, you know, a woman. Mm. Um, for me, like – I think, you know, when you – that fourth trimester is just full of so – especially for a first-time mum, just so many new things that you've never experienced, like, you know, there's problems with milk supply or um, sleep deprivation, um, you know, it's just those – whether you've had a Caesar or a natural birth, dealing with all that physical pain and then whether you have just the baby blues or it's just this whole yeah. – birth of just something completely it's just this whole new stage it, of it really life is, yes like nothing can re- as they say nothing can prepare you for it and you can be like obviously educated and aware kind of what's going to happen but until you actually experience it, and it's so different for every single mum mm. yes but 
for me, um, like it was, yeah, just this huge <laughs> change. I remember, so with my first Arlo, I remember when, you know, being in the hospital bed and looking at him and just him and just thinking like, shit, like I'm actually responsible <laughs> yes. for something now and just having this full like wave of fear to be like, like, wow, like I'm, it was like, like, wow, I'm never going to sleep probably again. Or I, I just remember thinking like, holy crap, I'm actually responsible for a human. <laughs> this <laughs> like, is mine. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And obviously excited, but also just in total shock. That it's very overwhelming. Yes. And just that, like even in the hospital, just that thought of like that first night when you're like, like I need to go to the toilet, do I just leave him here? Like it's just this whole mm. big, massive, ex- different experience. Yeah, so when you became a mother other than, you know, that at fourth trimester were, had the sleep issues and then there was the milk supply and things like that, what were other difficult aspects that you found through your journey? Okay, so um, for me, and I feel like I'll have to go through the, um, which we might touch on later, but... Yeah. For me, because with Arlo, I did later work out that I had suffered a lot of um, perinatal anxiety. So that's Mm -hmm. like anxiety, sort of depression during pregnancy. So I suffered from that quite severely. So for me, when I did have Arlo, I expected that anxiety to just disappear because I finally had the baby in my arms who was, you know, healthy and, and so I expected it would all be okay. But for me, it was like moment one, as soon as I had him in my arms, I started to have these fears of SIDS, these fears of every time he cried, like was it he just crying or was he crying because something was wrong? And I found that whole, because obviously they're a baby and they can't tell you what's wrong, I found that just so like, like gave me so much anxiety. Yes. I remember one night and he had quite bad colic um so and I remember one night you know as babies do with colic him just crying for hours and me just thinking oh my god we have to take him to the hospital like we have to there's something wrong like why is he crying and it was just all you know thank god my husband was quite level-headed and would pace the hallways you know patting him and trying to calm him down and like, he was the level-headed one that was like, no, we don't need to take him to the hospital. Yeah. Like, he's fine. And fast forward, like, six weeks, we did actually end up at Tresillion because um, – so mainly for feeding issues but also because the um, – what are they called? The nurses, you see? Mm. Is it early childhood nurse? You know the nurses that come to your house? Yes, I yes. What they're called. Yep. But they recognised that I was, you know, struggling a bit and mm. said that – um, I should go to Tresillion just to get some help with settling. and Because the good thing with Tresillion was um, we went for the, I think it was three-night stay. So they were able to observe like every feed. So not just the daytime feeds but the nighttime ones. They were able to watch what was happening through the night, to watch how we were settling him, how I was coping mm. and it was actually really helpful. That's awesome. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, yeah no, wow. I know because... So I think – so that's when we lived in Sydney. So mm-hmm. it is based in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So there's two, one at Penrith and somewhere else. So it is – it's like um, – and it's like bulk build. It's a program. 
it's normally mainly for sleep. So if you have a baby with sleep issues, but they do do like feeding and other issues as what well. What an amazing resource for mums. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. incredible. And yeah. Yeah. Upon reflection, do you feel with your sons and, you know, that was that was in that fourth trimester period, but you'd also just given birth. So yeah. do you feel that you'd had positive birthing experiences with your sons? So with Arlo, so my first, with Arlo, it was, yeah, a really positive, great birth experience. I laugh because I remember saying to one of the teachers in the staff room when we went to visit, I was like, oh, I loved it. Like, it was fantastic. I'd do it again any <laughs> day. So I had the epidural with Arlo. Yeah. And um, so with Arlo, I had um, gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. So it was decided I would be induced at 39 weeks and two days um and so for my induction it was they just did the stretch and sweep the day before but it didn't really work so I went in early that morning they gave me or they broke my waters that part was quite like very just painful and Mm. (laughs) not (laughs) not very comfortable I remember that's the part my husband said he felt like he was going to faint because, you know, they bring out this long, like, knitting <laughs> needle thing. And for him, he said, just watching them. Oh, like, my goodness. Obviously put that right up to get to your <laughs> uterus. He was yeah. just like. Oh, my goodness. Um, and for me, I think my cervix is really high. Yes. So with both boys, when I was induced, they really struggled to break the water. So, and then they gave me the syntocin. So I didn't have the balloon or any of those. I know you can have all different types mm. of inductions. I didn't have gel. They just did the syntocin. And at first I remember thinking, oh, it's not too bad. It's just like, you know, really bad period pain. But then it's it, obviously the contract – because when you get in, induced, it's quite – it goes from nothing to a lot mm. quite fast. Mm-hmm. And for me, I went from like being zero to I think five centimetres. Really, it's really fast. And then I decided I wanted the epidural. And I remember – because that was my first, and because we went public. So many people told me that in the public system, if you want an epidural, they'll, like, tell you for ages that the anaesthetist is in surgery or it will take ages to get it. So make sure you ask for it way before you want it. So I asked for it, and then 10 minutes later, he was there. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, oh, I thought it was meant to take ages. And they're like, oh, no, we have a fair few... Anaphysis. So yeah. obviously that part was wrong for that. <laughs> and so I got the epidural and, yeah, I mean, it was like nothing. You just feel nothing. Mm. And then I went from to 10 centimetres really quick because obviously wow. it re- um, relaxed me. And I actually thought the epidural wore off for pushing, but I now know after having no epidural with Cohen that clearly it didn't. It just, yeah. So th- the whole birth experience with Arla was really good, like, the only part I found hard was like I felt that I wasn't fit enough to push. Mm. I found that exhausting. But, um, yeah, with him it was a good birth. With So I went in thinking Cohen's birth was kind of just going to be the same. I yeah. went in thinking birth's not that bad. It was really enjoyable. And so with Cohen, I so his um, whole pregnancy from 35 weeks was really tough. I had... Um, SPD, I forget what it stands for, but it's like pelvic pain uh, where your ligaments separate a lot and I could hardly walk. And so I was begging to be induced from 35 weeks. I was like, you know, I can't, 
look after my son and not mm. walk. And Were you public again? I was public yeah. again. And so they don't really, unless there's something wrong with the baby, they don't just induce you. Mm. So from 37 weeks, they started doing stretch and sweeps. I actually did go into, I started having contractions with Cohen from 35 weeks. I was at work one day and I had to call an ambulance because I was having contractions. I went to hospital and they were measuring as contractions, but I didn't go into preterm labour. Mm. So from 35 weeks, I was having quite strong contractions, so a bit like Braxton Hicks, but not strong enough to put me into labour. And so towards the end, he had a few reduced movements, so they decided to induce me at 39 weeks. And same story as Arlo um, had the waters broken and then the drip and you know it was all going fine and then they put me because I didn't have gestational diabetes with him I was able to go in the bath so I went in the bath for a bit and I didn't really like that and I think I must have just I must have really progressed really fast and the whole thing was a bit of a blur um she uh I remember asking for an epidural and the midwife saying to me, you're doing so well, you don't have that long to go. And I, at the time it was quite unbearable, but not to the extent that I thought I couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, all right, if I don't have that long to go, this is the worst it's going to get, all right, we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. But from there it just all went like, <laughs> yeah. And I, for me now I just think, God, like, vaguely I remember, I just know that I've never sworn so much <laughs> like <laughs> My husband said that it was like, he said it was like I was like possessed. Apparently I ripped my cannula out and got up to try and walk out and I was just, I, I remember in my head thinking, this is what it feels like to die. Like I'm going to die. Oh no, And I was screaming for people to help me. I was begging them to give me a Caesar because I was just like in so much pain and they were like, you know, telling me nothing's going to fix it until you have the baby. And it was just – and I just remembered being so angry that they hadn't given me that epidural and I just wanted to, you know, go back to when I could have had it because my experience with Arla was so easy and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I just – I can't do it. And um, so he ended up getting – he ended up having shoulder dystocia because – so he got stuck. All I remembered was I had – the one midwife, and then she must have pressed the button, and from that there was like 10 people in the room. And they were all like yelling at each other. I just vaguely remember them yelling at each other, like (laughs) the head midwife yelling at the younger one to move. And So he got stuck, and um, from there I don't really remember. I must have just been totally out of it. But luckily they were able to get him out without any instruments, but they put him on my chest and I clearly remember thinking he's not crying. Why is he not crying? And apparently he was blue. So I don't remember this. My mm. husband does. Um, and so then they took him over to the little crib thing that they have and mm. gave him oxygen and he got colour and they put him back on me. But then he went blue again and um, they ended up taking him off to incube. But for mm. me, like, and still now I just think, at the time, and it sounds awful, but, like, I wasn't, like, I didn't care. It was more like I was just so glad that it was over, like, that the labour. I was like, mm. thank God, this is, it's done. 
But we were very lucky that he only had to spend a couple of hours in in queue and then he came back. Mm. So did they tell you? So why? So they think because he was actually um, sorry, I forgot to mention he was actually posterior mm-hmm. as well, and I knew he was posterior from thirty five weeks, and I did tell the midwife that a fair bit, but she said no, no, it's fine, he'll turn. So oh, goodness. I know a lot of people say to me, I can't believe like they didn't let you have the epidural when you already knew he was posterior. So they think that because I went into so much stress, he also went into stress and because he was posterior, he didn't turn like he was supposed to. So, and that's what made him like come out. He came out too fast and so he didn't take, I think it's like how they take that first breath and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, that would have had that period of time i know you said that your husband remembered when he came yeah. out and he put on your chest and he was blue but you don't you're in a bit of a daze yeah but just hearing that and knowing that information that would have been traumatic for you long yeah. term and yeah. yeah it was yeah it was just like even now like because we're watching um grace anatomy at the moment <laughs> i am too <laughs> well yeah but like oh, series binging it <laughs> and then there was one episode where the lady gave birth and I just burst into tears. My t- husband's like, what's wrong? And I'm just like, I just can't, like, it just brings back memories yes. of, yeah, so. Yeah, for me, it resurfaces all of the anxiety and the fears of what can happen and yeah. what might happen. And um, like, I know, I mean, we're not, I don't think we'll have a third, but if we did, I just know that I think I would have to have some sort of birth plan where I just personally don't think I could go through it again without an epidural, like mm. just remembering how, like, I don't know why the pain was so severe. Like, because so many mums I talked to that have done it without epidural, I don't know whether it was because I was induced or what happened or whether it was because he was probably posterior, but it was just so traumatic, the pain. Well, thank you so much for sharing that yeah. story because I know that that's probably one of the first times you've spoken yeah, about it. Yeah, it is. It, actually, so I've never spoken. So many times I said I was going to do the birth story and I just never did it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing it. I um, Moving on a little bit, I recently read something that really resonated with me as a mother and in particular a mum of boys, a boy, and I know you have two boys. Um, And it said, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something that you do but whom you raise. What is something or some things that you feel your responsibility to ensure your boys have instilled to their values and core beliefs? Okay, yep. So... um well, obviously, yeah, so being a mum of boys, which is, to be 100% honest, growing up, I never saw myself as being a mum of boys. You know, like, when you're young and you picture yourself being a mum, I just always pictured myself being a mum of girls. Yep. Like, even I, even if I asked my mum, I think, like, she would say she always would have pictured me with girls. Mm. So, now I absolutely love being a boy mum, but it's just something I never pictured. Mm. Um, but I do believe that, yeah, I have the opportunity to raise them I guess to be the way that I would like to be treated and for me I feel like very honoured that I would like to raise them pretty much to be like my husband Mm -hmm. so to be really respectful of women Um, but then also you know something as simple as I really want them to know how to cook Mm -hmm. like I feel that that's such a great great quality for a man to be able to have Um, yeah (laughs) because my husband you know happily steps in the kitchen he'll happily do the washing things like that so I really feel like that's something I'd love to instill in them as well Mm. Uh, but yeah definitely that respect of women that you know I'd um, like to hope that they always you know want to because I feel like 
you know, when you want to be a mum of girls, because I picture it because I have such a good relationship with my mum. So one part when I became a mum of boys, I thought, oh, well, am I ever going to have that relationship with them when they're older, like what I have with my mum? And so I kind of hope that I can raise them to feel like they can always come home, you know, to me. They can always bring their, at the time, you know, girlfriends or whatever home and always feel like we can still have that relationship. I always want them to feel... Like they can talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. It is really so important to raise our boys with these values. Um, One thing that's recently been in the media, and I'm not sure if you've noticed a few of these more public examples, but there have been some situations where men have been victim to domestic violence and emotional abuse along with really damaging and deceitful allegations. And I really noticed that these men, when they were being interviewed in the media and things, um, were firstly victims of women abusing the ju- judicial system. And sadly, I really felt hearing their, their stories that this has a lot to do with men being conditioned over time not to respect themselves enough um, or value themselves enough. And I say this with absolutely no discredit to domestic violence in any sense. I don't condone that in any way. But I really do understand that these toxic relationships are demonstrated by both men and women and I really feel like it's a high priority for us as mums to install still self-respect into our daughters and that's a really big thing at the moment and a huge movement and to make our little girls feel valued and I in particular as a mother of a son boy I yeah. want him to feel that yeah 100%. so much as well and I think yeah. that there's not enough conversation surrounding how important that is for our men, our young boys yeah. to grow into young men with high respect for themselves and worthiness and value. You yeah, know? no, I 100% agree, definitely. And you're right, there is, there's lots of conversations about it for girls but not always for mm. boys. And, so. affi- you know, the affirmation cards and things in there and they're amazing coming out for kids but they're primarily focusing on young girls and they're very yeah. pretty and fairies and princesses and things and I think well I want my son to have that too yeah, yeah. Um, because I want him to be able to identify in those situations as, as a young man or a teenager and be like whoa yeah this, like this does not serve my a purpose to me I am not sticking around for this yes. whether it's a, a man or a woman yeah um but yeah. yeah no I agree definitely Moving on to something that is a sensitive conversation and I really want to honour you and thank you for being so bold and comfortable to share this chapter in your season of motherhood. Um, I want to discuss something with you that I feel still in our society is a conversation often silenced. Um, I personally am surrounded by women every day that have gone through these chapters in their lives in silence and associated sharing these life-altering events with shame or sometimes guilt but the conversation is not often brought to light. I feel if this conversation is shared more often than not, it would really support our healing as women as a collective. Um, you touched on earlier that your journey to matrescence was, you know, having your two sons and your two pregnancies, but I do know that you also sadly didn't carry a third pregnancy to full term. I would love to hear a little about this experience for you. Okay. When we got married, um, we always made the decision that as soon as we got married, we would start trying for kids. Uh we were very, I guess, lucky at the time that it was we, – we went on our honeymoon to Bali and it was pretty much – we decided, okay, we'll start and we came back, found out we were pregnant. So it was pretty much just like make the decision, okay, bam, you're pregnant. Yep. And I remember thinking – you know, we both were like, oh, 
you know, yes, this is so good. <laughs> like, it was so easy because obviously I'd heard of it, you know, not being that easy. Some people struggle. Um, so, yeah, we were lucky. We'd fallen pregnant straight away. Um, and so I think about – so we went for our dating scan and that was all fine. Um, I was very, very sick, like with morning sickness, like extremely sick, not – not to the extent of HG, but mm-hmm. pretty close. I'd been in hospital a few times on a drip and all the doctors all the time would just say the typical thing, oh, well, it's really good. It means it's a healthy pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's so good to be sick. Like, And um, it was so – actually, my sister was also pregnant with so River at the time. And so, you know, I can't remember how far – she was quite far along, maybe almost due – so I'd only just kind of been surrounded by healthy pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And we went for our um, 12, 13-week scan, um, the whatever it's called. And I remember we said we lay, we was, you know, lay down, well, I lay down for the thing and he put the um, ultrasound on me and then we, I, I had no, like I guess I'd not really had any friends that had experienced it, so I didn't at all think that it was ever going to happen to us and then I remember he just said oh um, I'm really sorry there's there's no easier way to say this but there's no heartbeat and I, I don't actually I just I think I cried he left and I cried and my husband cried and we were just both in shock I think that's just the best way to explain it it was just mm-hmm. this complete shock like and that was 12 weeks was it? yeah third about 13 weeks okay. and like just so many things went through my mind I was angry I was angry that so many had told me you know it's a healthy pregnancy I remember thinking and it sounds awful but I remember thinking oh my god I've been sick for 13 weeks for nothing yeah. and anyway um the next day I had a DNC um so I think we did so I think when it, so that, that's the thing too so when it happened he just said okay go home and ring your GP mm. and I remember I rang the GP and they were like, oh, well, you can't get in today. And I, I th- I've heard that it's still pretty much like the same. It's like there's just not enough real support. Like it's just look – I think because they say, you know, it's quite common, you know, to them, to the medical profession, they just – you know, they don't look at it as the same as us. Like we're carrying a life. It's this – You've connected with this yeah, thing like growing it, inside you. Yeah, it's, and you've planned your whole future. Like you've planned that this is going to happen and I'm going to be 20 weeks, you know. Mm. Even though it's only been, you know, it's only been 13 weeks, you've planned your whole life. A hundred percent. And even at 12 weeks, I know that the, everyone talks about the first trimester and getting over the first trimester and then yeah. you tell people. So you yes. shared it with a lot of people. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's it. Like I'd shared it with all my close friends and everything. Mm. And so I remember I rang the doctor and they were like, you can't get in. And luckily because, I can't remember why, but because I knew that there was this EPAC, which is like early pregnancy centre at the hospital, like West Me, where I was going to have the baby and I rang them and luckily they said come in you know they were so caring so my advice to any girl out there if you ever go through it is do not go through like if it's through the day emergency but ring the early pregnancy centre because they are so much more caring and compassionate of the fact that it is still a life whereas I feel like emergency are just like Mm. you know they want to get in and out as well. In and, and out and it happens to so many people. Yes, and I think that um, the doctors 
for those that are men have not gone through yeah, it and yeah. if they haven't really been through it with their partners or or whatever then they don't really understand yeah. so how can they support you in the way that you need yeah and that you get the common you know oh well it just wasn't meant to be and so yeah I had a DNC and um everybody said the common well once you've had a I think DNC or curate it's actually really easy to get pregnant and um <sighs> for me for I think it took about six weeks until a pregnancy test came back negative so I had ultrasounds to make sure there was no retained product but there wasn't there was no we don't really know why it was just my body held on to that hormones mm. and so it was about six weeks till I finally got a negative pregnancy test and got my first period after that and then we started trying mm. and in short it took us about eight months which I know isn't that long in the scheme of things for some people but it took us eight months till we finally got pregnant again but in that time it completely consumed me like 100% I was just obsessed with it I was reading every book I was on all these diets I was doing acupuncture mm. my poor husband like there was no you know sorry to be too like for the too much information but there was no passion to that yeah. <laughs> try to conceive like sex just became a chore it yeah. was scheduled and like then once we finally found out we were pregnant with Arlo um you know I was excited but then straight away it was just this consumed mm. fear which at first I thought oh well that's normal I've had a miscarriage and did you feel like when you were going through this obsessive mo- time I guess um yeah did you identify that as having anxiety um uh at first no I didn't um I just thought it was normal that because I'd had the miscarriage I just thought it was normal that of course I'm going to be scared mm. but it's looking back and things it was just consuming fear and it wasn't normal it was like every single day any little ache and pain I got I thought okay something's wrong <laughs> I think yes. we visited the ER in the first trimester with Arlo I don't know how many times <laughs> yes. I convinced myself I had an ectopic pregnancy and that that was I was so bad with Dr Google every pain I had I would Google it and then I would find whatever the worst case scenario was and convince myself that that's what it is and so I thought once I had that you know 13 week scan and we saw the heartbeat that I would be okay and I was for like say a couple of days and then I would convince myself that no something else is gonna be wrong Mm. and then once we had the 20 week scan you know by that stage I did know obviously I was growing a healthy baby But I just, it was then I started to convince myself I was going to have a stillborn. Mm. And so for something is, I remember vividly, he would get the hiccups a lot and that's normal. And I rang the uh, birth centre one time saying, you know, he's got the hiccups heaps. And I've read on Google that that means they've got a cord wrapped around their neck. Oh, wow. And so like my husband would just be like, you've got to and the thing is no one ever you know whenever I went for my midwife visits they'd always ask how you're physically feeling but no one ever really asked how you're mentally feeling so I just never really communicated it to anyone and I just went through that whole nine months just with that consuming fear yes and you definitely wouldn't have felt like you received sufficient support I guess from the professionals at that time because you had this overwhelming amount of emotions and you're in such a, a constant state of panic yeah I was it was just always this I didn't really 
fine, like I enjoyed the pregnancy like I should because mm. I was just so worried all the time. Mm. I'm so sorry that you and your husband firstly went through that awful time in the beginning with your first loss of um, the, the pregnancy. But, you know, I remember when I was quite young, my mum telling me that I think I might have been 10, maybe 11, and I overheard a conversation um, about miscarriage. And I was like, oh, what's that? And I asked mum yeah. and she said, oh, she explained what it was. And she said, oh, I had a miscarriage. Yeah. And I remember being so hurt and offended why she didn't tell me. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? And her yeah. response to it was, we just don't talk about this type of thing. Yeah. And then she walked away. And I just remember feeling like, oh, okay. Yeah. So we don't, no one talks about this. And then from there, that's been my belief system surrounding miscarriage. You don't talk about yeah. it. You don't open up. You don't share it with you know, your partners or professionals and you just go through this as a woman and it happens and it's common and yeah. if it happens to you, you know, you just got to get over it sort of yeah. thing, which is horrible. When I was um, pregnant with my son, Jesse, I was so set on no one knowing until I was past that 12 weeks because yeah. I was so fearful of then having to explain myself to people and telling them about the loss. And yeah. I remember my husband... Um, was out with friends one night and he told them and I was so angry at him I'm like no because then now if something happens now I have to tell these people yeah and he was like you just it's nothing's gonna happen why are you so worried about it but it's because everyone tells you it's so common I know but it doesn't change it no it doesn't and it doesn't change that sadness and that loss and when I because I'm a teacher and when I did so once everybody did kind of like so I ended up having to be off work a bit and my um, principal at the time told the staff and I had so many come and say to me, you know, I've been through it too. And I found it so comforting Mm. to know that others had been through it. But at the time, you know, no one talked about it. And I still feel like no one talks about it until you tell someone and then they say, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. Yes. It's still something. But I, I do feel like we're slowly getting better. I noticed in social media a lot of people sometimes announcing pregnancies earlier and saying that even... If something goes wrong, then, Mm. you know, I want this platform to know. Mm. So... Do you feel that that's probably going to be the best way that we as women should break our silence on miscarriage? Uh, It's, yeah, I don't... Because I guess it does come down to, you know, a personal preference. Like, so we've... When I was pregnant with Cohen, we didn't tell everyone, but we did tell, you know, our close... I did tell my close friends. And for me, I felt like... If anything was going to happen, then I wanted all my close people to know type mm. things. So I, for me, I felt like, well, what's the point of them not knowing? Because mm. if something happens, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to want them there for that support. Mm. So It's so good that you've grown now to understand that you need that support to go through yeah. that with other people and not have to do it all on your own. Yes, because that's it. It's suffering in silence is, yeah. It's just as traumatic, I think. It is. Yeah, and it adds so much in depression and anxiety and you know yeah. fear and shame and guilt and we just don't need to feel that way we just need to be no. able to talk about it and open 100%. the conversation yeah well thank you again for sharing that with me it's really a privilege to open this conversation and I hope that someone who may have experienced something similar listening to this episode feels connected to this story um, and that if it does resonate with you that you feel not so alone in this moment I really just want women to share this more and talk to their friends more and open this conversation more. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity to share that today. Now, I know from your Instagram that you love to fill yourself and your boys with healthy, fulfilling meals that aren't overcomplicated <laughs> and time-consuming to create. Yeah. But I would love to know, what is your go-to favourite family meal? Um, so, uh, to be honest, I'm going to say a slow cooker. Yes. Uh, I just think every mum needs a slow cooker. Yes. It is just so simple. Yeah. Um, you know, I just – I find it so comforting to know in the morning that I've just – you know, thrown in, whether it's chicken or whatever, meat and veg, put the sauce on mm. and that's it. And then eight hours later or whatever it is, you've got it set to dinner's done. Mm. I just I've, – I can prepare a slow cooker now in ten minutes. It's, yeah. I just – and they're always so – especially in winter, so warming and full of veggies. So yeah. they're – What know, are the boys like as eaters? They're pretty good. Um, I think they're pretty good. From the feedback I get from a lot of my followers when I share them eating and I get a lot of followers saying, oh, I wish mine ate like that. Mm. Arlo especially, he'll happily eat a whole plate of veg. Mm. Have you always just given them all the options? And um, yeah, I've never been – Yeah, I think I went through a few, you know, phases where I tried to do all the – I mean, Arlo was not a good eater at first. Oh, it was terrible. We yeah. uh, being my first. I remember. I, I look back and think, what was I doing? But the only way I could ed- get him to eat anything savoury was I used to squirt um the Rafferty's Garden yeah. pear puree pear pear on it and then give it to him. So it would be like <laughs> meat squirt meat squirt, and he was just oh, that took us so long for us to get him off that. Oh my goodness. And I'm surprised that he now will sit there and eat anything. So. Yeah. Yeah, if you do have a bad eater, don't think it's forever because they can change. But yes. Cohen goes through phases. Like one minute I'll think he's so good and then at the moment he's going through a phase where he just licks it and spits it out. Mm. Very frustrating, very messy. <laughs> but, yeah, they're not too bad. That's good. And parenting style-wise, like if you if they don't eat what's in front of them, is it like, <laughs> oh, well, you don't get dinner and that's the rules? Or um, So I feel like me and hubby are very different. That's my hubby's mentality. Mm. Oh, well, he didn't eat it. I'm more like, oh, no, but they've got to eat. Yes, me too. Yeah, I get worried that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm lucky. I, I do have... So, yeah, last night, for example, what's that? I'm trying to remember, we served them, oh, my God, I can't, I can't, anything. I've, we served them something and Arlo ate it. Mm. Oh, no, I don't know what it was, chicken and veg, like charcoal chicken and veg. Mm-hmm. And Cohen didn't touch it, just licked the chicken and threw it on the floor. And so I was like, oh, God, so now he hasn't ate. So luckily we had some leftover spaghetti bolognese. Mm. So My son loves spaghetti. Yeah, so I cooked that up and gave him that and he ate it. Yeah, that's good. But with Arlo being a bit older, um, especially if I know he's like ate well through the day, I will say, oh, well, that's it. Or with him it works. We're pretty – we're able to bribe him a lot with, you know, well, if you eat this you can have some dessert or a biscuit. Yeah, so yeah. It's not too bad. That's awesome. And he just loves food. Like he's just – geared by food even driving down here he points out all that oh there's mcdonald's <laughs> so <laughs> how long till we get there <laughs> his whole life is about food oh i love that little cutie yeah um my final question today for you kira is for the mamas out there to hopefully inject some healthy habits into their children's day today what is something that you do for your boys that takes care of them from the inside out each day Ooh, okay 
I think well, a simple one is smoothies. They both yes. love smoothies, and I find because Cohen won't. Arlo loves fruit. He's always loved fruit. Cohen won't touch fruit at all. So that's the only way I can get fruit into him. And then in that, I also put in our um, like we put the Pono probiotics mm-hmm. or any things I want to hide in there. Mm-hmm. So definitely a smoothie. We probably don't do it every. In summer, we would do it every day. Yeah, but in winter, probably not every day. Um, and then. Since moving to the Central Coast, just that fresh, like, salt air, it's mm. something I love that we can – I'm so grateful that we can do that for them now, taking them out, just to go for a walk along the beach or in summer. So I do always feel really good when I've let them get out and have a run around in the fresh air. And Even in winter, taking your kids down to the beach, like – Yeah, for a scooter Just ride. to run around yeah. and get the fresh air and get the salt in their faces. Like, it's just so good for them. Yeah. And then I've also probably started recently on the essential oils journey a bit. Yes. So How are you finding that? Yeah, good. I've got a lot to learn. Um, but I do find that that's something I do for them too, especially if they're sick, you know, the diffuser blends or the roller blends or mm. putting a bit few drops in the bath. But I Yeah. And then – yeah, just lots of outdoor play, I find. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Allowing them to get dirty, even though I hate it. Oh, I hate it too. <laughs> and I never put my son in white clothes or oh anything no. white. It's like, no, just in case he gets dirty, then I have to wash it. just yes. makes things so much harder. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's why I prefer summer when they can just run around naked. I know. In, like, in I hate winter. I mean, so yeah. much washing. And yeah. Well, my son was a summer baby. He was born on the 22nd yeah, both of December. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, three days before Christmas. So. He just wore nappies, but now I'm a week off having my winter winter baby. And I'm like, what's she going to wear? Kira, thank you so much for sharing your story and experiences today. I feel so grateful to be connecting with women like you in this space. You're bringing so many smiles to Instagram daily simply by sharing your journey and your beautiful family. So a huge thank you for showing up so bravely and boldly in this conversation. For anyone that wants to get in touch with you or connect with you, where do they find you? Okay, so they can find me on so Kira Maxime with a underscore at the end. Yep. Um, also on there, you can find my email if you prefer to email me yep. or send me a DM. I'm, I find I'm pretty good at responding to DMs. Yes. I like to take pride in the fact that I do kind of make it every few days to try and get back to everyone. Yeah. So definitely reach out via DM. Um, I will mention as well for anyone, if anyone is suffering from perinatal anxiety or anything, at the time I didn't know about it, but with Corinne I was told there's something called the Gidget Foundation mm-hmm. and they have fantastic resources on there. Amazing. Well, I'll put that in the show notes yeah, as well. because so I wish I had known about that. that link, yes. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.